right, live from the offices of Great River Investments in the beautiful city of Burlington, Iowa, this is the Marvin Knows Finances Show. I am your host, Marvin Thompson, your certified financial planner, and joining me today is Joel Jolin of Jolin Media in West Burlington, Iowa, and Todd Sladke, CPA, and my partner at Great River Investments. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen in, and as always, for all of you, all you listeners on Google Podcasts and Spotify, uh, please don't forget to click the subscribe button. If you prefer to see how we make this show come together, please check out our YouTube channel, Marvin Knows Finances, and click subscribe there as well. Just like the last and every time, I have to take care of a little business before we get moving too far forward to please my compliance department. Marvin Thompson is an investment advisor representative and a registered investment advisor with Brokers Financial Member SIPC. Opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers Financial. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Great River Investments LLC does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstances. So, gentlemen, welcome today. How y'all doing? Thank you. Good. Doing wonderful. Good, good, good. Hey, a quick shout out to our local football team, the Burlington Greyhounds, for having a great season and making the playoffs this year. Um, they finished the season with seven and two record. Um, quite an exciting way to finish the season, scoring a touchdown with, I believe, 20 seconds left in the game to go ahead of uh, one of our sister towns here, Fort Madison. Um, bottom line with that game, folks, is we had two evenly matched teams that played their hearts out. And unfortunately, as it is with all sporting events, somebody has to win. This year, thankfully, it was our team. So, <laughs> but Fort we, Madison, and we don't get to say that very often. And Fort, so. we don't get to say that very often. So, Fort Madison does not have anything to hang their head about. They played a fantastic game, but uh, congratulations to the Burlington Greyhounds. Um, super proud of these kids. I had the pleasure of coaching a lot of them when they were just wee tots in fifth and sixth grade, and it's pretty neat to see how they've advanced through the year. So, it was, ex- it was an exciting game on Friday. It was good to see all the people out supporting and. Uh, the kids just had a great time. Yeah, what a great what a great thing for the community to come through because, as uh, Joe mentioned, um, the Burlington football team has not necessarily had the greatest amount of success over the past few years, not from lack of trying and not from lack of hard work, but um, it's nice in those years where it kind of all comes together finally. Um, like I said, a bunch of great kids, and congratulations to all of them and the coaching staff, of course, and the parents who support them. All right, so we're going to start with our normal thing, our question of the week. And the question of the week this week um, came from me from a client who's got some elderly parents, and they were kind of concerned about the allocation. Um, so should my elderly parents still be invested in stocks? And uh, the answer is always based on risk and need. That's the answer to that question. Um, so it all depends on your parents' income needs and risk tolerance. Um, unfortunately, in some cases, clients will always need to be invested in the market to meet their basic needs. Uh, the market is the only investment over an extended period of time that really outpaces inflation. However, it is very important to make sure your parents can handle the risk associated uh, with investing in the stock market. If they can't, other options such as lower income may, be need, may need to be considered. Um, I always like to tell a story. Um, way back in the day, I had an elderly client. She was probably in her 90s. And I talked to her one time about the possibility of moving some of the money out of the stock market, and she took some pretty big offense to that. She was like, I don't care how old I am. I will always be invested in the stock market. It's done great things for me through the years. But then, of course, you also have 50-year-old people, on the other hand, who are like, oh, I don't want to touch the stock market. It's too risky. So um, always yeah. base it on risk and need and what everybody can uh, can uh, handle, of course. So uh, great question. So thank you once again for those. Please keep those coming in. Uh, we love including them in the podcast. 
And um, this was a pretty good one this week. So our topic this week is a very specialized product called Donor Advised Funds. So I want to say thanks to Todd. Um, Todd brought me an article um, from the Nerd Wallet website. So I want to make sure proper credit's given to the authors of this. But, That's where I spend um, all my time. <laughs> Nerd Wallet. Nerd Wallet. Anyway, um, this article was written by um, Tina Orem and Elizabeth Iula. I hope I pronounced their names right. Um, they did a very good job on this article and on the topic, and they just did a great job of explaining it. So we're going to start out by talking a little bit about what is a donor-advised fund, because it's a pretty specialized thing. Um, a lot of people maybe even haven't heard of it before, but um, I'll kind of give you the uh, concept of what a donor-advised fund does, okay? So you as a client deposit assets into an account for donations that you're going to make to charity over a period of time. The donor, which is you as a client, gets a tax deduction for making the contribution. A sponsoring organization, such as a Schwab, Vanguard, or Fidelity, manages the account for you, but the donor has input as to how to invest them and where to donate the funds to. Technically, the sponsor has control over the funds, but as long as you choose IRS-recognized charities, the sponsoring organization will usually use your charities of choice. Okay? So I'm going to back up for a second here and, and specifically ask Todd a couple of questions here, okay? Okay. So a couple of years ago, um, tax rules changed, and it kind of put a limit in terms of how much money people could um, itemize off their taxes. That's right. And I think it's commonly referred to as a SALT deduction, state and local tax deduction. Right. Um, and there was a cap put on there of about $10,000. Right. And what that ended up doing was in certain parts of the country, and ours included, it really stopped allowing people to itemize on their taxes right. or they pulled back on their charitable deductions and so forth. Right. So, so the benefit of charitable deductions just got less in that a lot of people were no longer able to itemize. So it, it came out in uh, a tax cut and job act of 2017. I think 2018 might've been the first year that the standard deduction, um, the standard deduction amount was raised at that time to 25,000 something, 25,100 or something currently. Um, but there was a limiter put in there of $10,000 maximum state and local tax deduction. So if your real estate taxes are 5,000 and your state income tax is 10,000, you have 15,000 in taxes that you used to be able to um, itemize and then you would add that with your interest, your medical expenses and your charitable donations to get to a number which may have then been over the zero bracket amount, which allowed you to itemize deductions. So it was a tax advantage in those itemized deductions. By putting that $10,000 limit on state and local tax, it and raising the threshold of what you need to get over to itemize, the combination of those things, basically if you are limited to $10,000 of state and local tax and 25000 is the threshold, you have 15,000 in there where you can either be spending that on interest expense or charitable donations, but if they don't total up to more than 15,000, you're not going to itemize. You're going to just take the standard deduction. Not mm -hmm. that, that that is a bad thing. I mm -hmm. mean, having a standard deduction of 25,000 is really probably a pretty good thing. Actually 25,000 for married filers. It's smaller for single filers, but it really did kind of um, upset uh, how people think about what they do um, there's a lot in the press uh, you would see now. It's even talked about about uh, about bunching your deductions. So um, what's that mean? Bunching your charitable deductions. So okay. um, let's say in 2021 20, here, 
I decide this is the year I'm going to kind of bunch my deductions, my charitable deductions, such that um, I take advantage of being able to itemize and getting over that $25,000 threshold. But next year, I'm not going to, I know that I'm not going to itemize. So I really limit down my, um, my itemized deductions. And then the following year, 2023, I go back to, okay, I'm going to bunch those again. So what you're trying to do is take the most advantage of itemizing in the years where you get over the $25,000 threshold and then um, kind of save up those things that are tax deductible to spend in the next year, the second year later, when you would want to itemize again. So it's kind of a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, it doesn't have to be a full, you, you, can, you can do your, let's say, Let's say 2021 is the year I'm, I'm thinking I will itemize if, if, I'm, if I'm a forward thinker about that. I would have done a lot in early part of 2021 related to maybe my 2020 year mm-hmm. on my giving. And then November and December of this year, I'd also be thinking about giving for kind of for 21 and 22 because I know I'm not going to do as much in 22. And what that does for you is it, it gets everything into a calendar year okay. um, that's deductible. <clears throat> And then you kind of skip a year and just take the zero bracket amount or the standard deduction amount. So the the $10,000 limit, I think, kind of did a couple of things. First of all, it probably stopped a lot of people from itemizing. Yes. um, Which, you know, in our part of the world, you know, you mentioned property tax around $5,000. In other parts of the country, property taxes by themselves are $15,000 on average size homes. You know, so that really put a damper on things. The other thing I think that really did was it probably hurt charities. Yes. I mean, I can't imagine that. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there making charitable donations just for the tax write-off. Right. Or certainly it, it was an impetus to do so. It, Absolutely. It's like, it, you know, I, I like this charity. I, 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 I get the advantage of a tax deduction, so therefore I'm going to support them. But okay. now my tax deduction part has gone away, so instead of, you know, it used to cost me to give $100 and I'm itemizing, and let's say I'm in a 30% bracket, it, it cost me $70 net of, mm-hmm. net of tax to make that donation. Mm-hmm. Now when I'm not itemizing, I make a $100 donation that costs $100. So I might reduce my um, giving to, to $70. $70 yeah, because you I'm don't receive any extra benefit. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So the donor advised fund, um, it came about, um, Was it? did it come about for the sole purpose of overcoming this $10,000 or has it been I, around for I, quite a while? I think it's been around for a while. Okay. But I think its um, focus has has become greater because okay. of this. What I just described in a lengthy discussion there was the, the every other year kind of getting over the maximum. What a donor advised fund allows you to do is make a really big contribution to this donor advised fund, who then sits on the money and potentially earns uh, investment earnings on the money. Should be um, over time, and it allows you to direct the organizations that you want to support, um, it's like pre-funding your charitable donations, basically. So you might want to look out five years ahead and say, if I, if I would normally give um, $20,000 a year to charity, mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. say, that's $100,000 over a five-year period. Mm-hmm. Five years is not magic. You, mm-hmm. this, this can extend for a long, long time. But mm-hmm. let's say I, I want to I uh, maximize t- my tax deductions and I'd like to pre-fund five years of my donations ahead. If I use a donor advised fund, I take five years times $20,000 a year, I take a $100,000 chunk today and I put it in this donor advised fund, I get the charitable deduction mm-hmm. of $100,000 today, Today, this year. Even though the monies won't be dispersed for Even though the monies won't five be dispersed. Period. Right. So okay. it's, it's helpful in that um, 
you you really are bunching your deductions for five years, not mm-hmm. just this every other year thing that I first described, but you're bunching your deductions for, uh, it can be 10 years, it can be 20 years, it can okay. be a long period, but the, the kicker is you, you need to have the cash to pre-fund it. Basically. Exactly. And because so, you can't, you can't like um, open up a donor advised fund and say, I'm just going to put $20,000 a year, but take the $100,000 now. You can't no, make that pledge. No, it has to all go in. It has to all go in in cash. Okay. Or, or securities. One of the other angles is um, people use, uh, donate uh, appreciated securities. Oh, there you and go. And that saves them having to pay the, um, the tax on the gain mm-hmm. that's in that appreciated security. Mm-hmm. And still gets them the deduction for the, the value of the con- of the of the donation to the donor advised okay. fund. Okay, so a couple things we're taking away from this: um, people looking at donor advised funds are probably going to be charitable minded people. Yes, they're definitely going to want to be giving monies to it. Um, are there any restrictions on the type of charities that they can give to? I mean, I'm assuming they all have to be recognized as charities, right? right? They need to be IRS 501c3 501c3 type companies. Yes. Okay. And in the donor advised fund, the the oversight entity that that is sitting and holding and investing this money until it is distributed at your request, they will do a check every time okay. um, on on that. It, it, it would include churches. I mean, churches don't necessarily. Um, actually, there's a list. It's IRS qualified public charities, some private foundations, churches, schools, and municipal governments in the United States. Okay. So if you, if, you know, a school district is not a 501c3 organization, but if you wanted to give $500 to the... But a private school might be. A private school might be. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. All right. So uh, some of the benefits, you know, we did some research on these things because it's not a product that we normally deal with. However, we do talk to our clients about it. Um... So tax deductions, obviously, when you're making your contributions into a donor-advised fund, uh, make sure you're donating more than the standard deduction. Because as Todd just explained, the purpose of this is to get above in terms of your, you, you want to be able to itemize. So you need to be able to donate more. Um, and then, of course, you can recognize more in one year or spread it out, whatever you is going to be best for your things. Um, lower capital gains rates. Um, I'm assuming that's in reference to using appreciated, appreciated stock. Yeah, appreciated, appreciated property. property into the it, and it would be stock, but yeah, mutual yep. funds, that kind of thing. So yep. something that has an appreciation on it, if you were to cash it out and then donate the cash, you would pay the tax on the gain. Gotcha. Um, if you donate the property directly to the donor advised fund, then you avoid paying the tax on the gain and you get the donation deduction and the value. With, and with potential capital gains rules changing. Yes. This could be huge. Yes. This could be huge. So pay attention to that. Um, Reduced estate taxes. Um, When you make this gift, it's out of your state. Right. So that's another good thing to keep in mind. Um, It does give you a legacy of giving. Right. Um, I think one of the things I read is that you can actually um, pass this on to the next generation. Yes. So if you don't end up using all the money in the donor-advised funds... Um, your kids can then you, you would substitute kids or some other kids or um, some other organization uh, to uh, not really that. a trustee in a sense, but it would be like a trustee. Okay. It's somebody you trust that would um, be able to be your successor to make these uh, these directions to the donor advised fund on who should get the money. I love in, it. in the future. I love it, and of course, there's a condition of anonymity too. Um, some people would like to give money, but don't like to give should, it away. Should so. you want to do that yep. and not have your name tied to it whatsoever, yep. this is a great way to do that. Yep. Um, what can you contribute to it? Um, primarily, it's usually funded with cash okay. um, up front, but we've already talked a couple times about the appreciated um, asset um, mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some limits. Um, some of the limits are 
if, if you're using cash, you're limited to 60% of your adjusted gross income as a cash gift in any given year. So if you had $100,000 adjusted gross income this year, you would be limited um, to $60,000. Okay. Um, probably not going to happen unless, you know, unless you're, you're, you're just probably not going to do that out of your regular income. You're not going to give that much. But if you're in a position where you've been thinking about doing this for some time, you have the cash on hand, and it really isn't related to your current income. Mm -hmm. It's just, I want to do this this year. Mm -hmm. um, you are limited to that 60%. Right. But if you do have a high income in a, in a given year, this is definitely something yes. to consider. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And probably get the most bang for your buck or, or tax efficiency that way in that you're already in a high bracket. If gotcha. you have a high income, you're in a high bracket, you get the most tax benefit um, by, by being in a high bracket. And then for capital assets like appreciated stock, you're limited to a thirty maximum thirty percent of your adjusted gross income. So okay. in that case, um, you know if you had hundred thousand dollar adjusted gross income this year, and you wanted to donate appreciated stock, that value could not exceed um, thirty thousand dollars. Gotcha, gotcha. I also read where you can give cryptocurrencies into donor advised funds. Um, obviously, there's some people sitting on some appreciated assets in that, so that's kind of a neat little concept. And then um, I also wrote about life insurance cash value. So if you have a life insurance policy that's maybe overfunded and maybe you don't have the need for the death benefit anymore, that's something else to consider. So how does a client invest in a, a donor-advised fund? So I've been looking into it a little bit um, just by reading these articles and so on, but um, it, it seems pretty straightforward and easy on, so on, on the Fidelity Schwab or Vanguard website. They all... Um, they all are set up to be this donor advised fund entity and they all some some of them have a minimum amount it might be $5000 to start this it might be uh, i think that's the i i don't remember what the most of them have a zero amount to start this um, donor advised fund idea um doesn't have to just be a one time contribution um it does like we're talking about for lumping to get the tax deduction, but you can continue to fund it in mm -hmm. future years as well. So mm -hmm. you could have both inflows and outflows in your fund. Um, you can name the fund. So if you wanted to be anonymous, you can. If you wanted to um, more have your family name tied to it, you can. So that the receiver of, of donations later would see that on every donation they receive, that this is coming from the, um, you know, Joe Smith family um you know, some people put trust or charitable trust or something like that. It really isn't a trust. It really isn't a foundation. It's an entity. Um, you can name it anything you want. So if you like those words, you can use those words. But um, that isn't really what it is. Um, but the, uh, the, the sponsors, the Schwab, the Vanguard, the Fidelity type entities allow um, naming it however you want to name it for your donations going out. They all have a fee, um, asset management fee, which is very typical. Um, well, that's how they get paid for that, doing the that, work. That's that they how do. they get paid for doing the work. Yeah. And this is a little more work for them than mm -hmm. most uh, brokerage account. Let's mm -hmm. say for just an individual, there, there's there's some real um, compliance checking that they need to do every time you say, "Hey, I want to donate a thousand dollars to this entity." They mm -hmm. have to do some checking and make mm -hmm. sure that's a qualified entity. Mm -hmm. So they have some work on their end. Um, the fees are. Um, I, I, th I think the highest I saw was six uh, uh, tenths of a percent, so six, 60, 60 basis, basis points, points yeah. or six, you know, about a half percent or a little better than a half percent mm -hmm. to manage the assets. The assets themselves can be um, in 
mutual fund earning type assets mm -hmm. within their um, family of funds. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would pretty much assume their family of funds probably doesn't have to be that, but if you're with Vanguard, you're probably going to use Vanguard funds. And so there would be fees within those funds as well. Um, but there is also the chance then for upside growth. And so, you know, you may put $50,000 into your donor advised fund and over the next five years, you may be able to give away $75,000 if you had great growth. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in order to invest in it, we're going to compare the companies that do it. And like, you know, we're talking about Fidelity, Schwab and Vanguard. There may be more of these folks out there, but, you know, obviously those are three of the biggest players in the, in the industry. Um, and then you're going to make your contribution. And then when it comes to tax time, this is when you're going to itemize on a Schedule A form. Right. Um, and that's when you're going to get your full tax break in the year you make your contribution. And you're going to want to leave yourself enough time. If you're thinking about this for this year at all, we're almost to November 1st here, and I'm not sure when this will go out, but you know we're at the end of 2021. And um, if you want to take advantage of this for 2021, you need to get it set up and funded by December 31st of 2021. Perfect. Perfect. Um, you already mentioned the investment options, so I'm assuming if we're talking about one of the three that we mentioned, uh, they'll probably primarily be using their own family of funds in there. Um, all three of them have great investment options for you to choose from. And of course, you can always talk to your financial advisor for some further um, further information or input into that. And then picking your charities. Right. You know, picking a charity is really about the heart. Yeah. It's it's, what do you it's like actually support? the fun part of the whole uh, the whole equation. The, the, the other advantage to using a fund like this, a donor advised fund, let's say we are at the end of the year and um, a client may have a really high taxable income year. This comes across as a planning potential for them. They could, let's say, let's say they um, decide that, wow, I, I'm really in a, in, a, in a high income year and I'd like to put $100,000 into this donor advised fund. This sounds like a really good planning point, but I don't really know who I want that money to go to mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You you don't make that decision when you put the money in. You're, mm -hmm. you're really just saying, I'm generically pre-funding my charitable contributions, and I will decide who, who you know, I will take the generic off later, and I'll decide it's XYZ Church, or it's ABC School, mm -hmm. or it's, you know, one, two, three, you know, great, yep. great cause thing. Yep. So that's all decided later. And, um, and the other thing is, is by not requiring you to make that decision today, you have the chance to change your mind as well. Yeah. So you may have in mind, yeah, I'm really going to do a lot of this to my church or I'm going to do a lot of it to, you know, my former school or whatever. You may get two years out and decide, wow, there's this much better cause that I, I feel strongly about. And you can make that decision then you don't really have it. to declare today yeah i love it it's a great it's a great product actually um it was nice putting this show together because i um, actually learned a lot more about it so um i was asked a question you know why are we choosing this topic for a podcast because it's not a product that we sell we don't generate any revenue personally from doing this and i want to make sure the listening audience understands that the purpose of this podcast is for us to introduce topics to you that we think might benefit you. Now, this topic is obviously not going to benefit everybody. I mean, it's not going to meet everybody's needs. It's a very specialized things. But if you're a charitable person, and if you have a desire and a need to give money away, and you might be in a high income tax bracket looking for some tax breaks, then this may be an option for you. And, um, you know, as with all investments, make sure you do your research to see how this product fits into your plan. And as usual, if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to our office. You know, we're here to help. 
as much as we can. So yeah, it's an educational piece, both for, for both of us. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a new, uh, a new learning for us as well as for the people that are listening. Um, so it's, it's, uh, the, the one, you know, bit of a caveat, I would guess, and I'm not doing this to say, to say anything negative about it, but once you do fund this, it's, it's not a, I can change my mind about that next year and right. get the money back. You've given you, it away. You, you're making a, you're making a donation. You're taking the donation on your tax return. And from your estate plan, your asset plan, that asset is, is gone. It, 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 you have some control over it yet in, in telling that money where to go, but you can't tell it to come back to you. Yeah. That's a very important point. So, All right. So my heartfelt thanks goes out to all of you for listening today. And as usual, a special thanks to Joe Jolin and Todd Sladke for joining me today and providing all their input. Um, As usual, we want to hear from you. Uh, Please reach out to me by either giving me a call at 319-576-2264 or visit the website at www.greatriverinvestments.com. Go to the contact section of us, go to the contact us section of the site, and I or a member of my team will be in touch with you shortly to discuss our next steps together. Thank you again for listening to the Marvin Knows Finances Show. This is Marvin Thompson, your certified financial planner. Have an amazing day.